Uh, so we're here, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 today. Uh, we are continuing our series in Exodus. Uh, if you are newer here, uh, you might be doing the math and saying, we've been doing one chapter a week, there are 40 chapters, will we be here for 40 weeks? Uh, if you ask the people who have been here for a while, they will tell you it could be longer. Uh, and uh, uh, you never know, I get distracted by a single word, which is going to happen today. Um, but we have to. Uh, no, uh, we're we'll, we'll, we're going to get through. We're going to do this whole this exodus. We're going to try to do it in three parts, Lord willing. Uh, and so we're in this first part uh, where this Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, has set himself up, thinking that he is going to uh, fight against and oppress this immigrant group uh, of Israelites that live among him. Uh, but he's not actually setting himself up to fight the Israelites. He's setting himself up uh, in a fight against the God of the Israelites who fights for them. So that's what we're doing. Uh, We're gonna be in uh, Exodus 3. Today is gonna be a little information heavy. I think in my humble uh, but accurate opinion, (laughs) uh, in my humble opinion, uh, I think a sermon should be uh, many things. I think a sermon should be a bit informational, right? Like there's things that you just need that we should, just like it says this, it's just here's information. But also like it can't be just informational. It should also, you know, like here's what it has to do with you and here's why it matters and here's the good news and all these things. Uh, It should be all of these things. Today's gonna be a little information heavy because there's just things in chapter three that are foundational, that set us up. Plus, it's just a really great story, (laughs) what happens in three. So in Exodus chapter one, real quickly, uh, coming out of Genesis, Exodus continues from Genesis. Uh, Exodus one, we hear the story of how God has blessed these people who are the descendants of this man named Abraham. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be, uh, God's promised them this land of Canaan, but they're in uh, in Egypt. Uh, But God has blessed them there. The the Eden promise of multiplying is happening, uh, and this freaks out the new Pharaoh, who doesn't know Joseph, who's the way that God used, uh, God used Joseph, this man, to bring them down and protect their lives and bring them to Egypt. And so now God is actually, he's creating a nation in the middle of another nation. He promised Abraham that he'd build a na- mighty nation and he's doing it. But they, uh, this, this freaks out the Pharaoh and the other Egyptians. And so they begin to oppress these people. And, and uh, so God's people cry out to the Lord. Uh, it's been a long time this has been going on. And then in chapter two, we're introduced to this uh, couple, this Levite couple, the descendants of this uh, guy named Levi, one of the 12 uh, sons uh, of Israel. Uh, and we're introduced to him, and they have a, a son named Moses. And, and through some amazing uh, circumstances, uh, uh, through the bravery of uh, some women, Moses is actually protected against the, the Pharaoh's order that all young males are killed. Not only is he protected, but he's brought right into Pharaoh's house. <laughs> so it's amazing. Uh, so it, chapter two ends with Moses um, having to flee to Midian. He decides that he's gonna take into his own hands. Um, he sees, he, he's, he's an Israelite, but he grows up in Pharaoh's house, and he sees uh, his, the Israelites being oppressed, and he actually ends up in a situation where he kills a guy. Pharaoh finds out, so Moses is on the run. He's running from Pharaoh, and he's, he's moved to this, ta- uh, this area called Midian. Uh, and he's moved there, uh, and he's actually married. He's married the daughter of a, uh, a Moabite priest, and, or Midianite priest, and um, he's living there. And he had a kid there named Gershom. Uh, and he named Gershom, which means I am a sojourner in a foreign land. And then chapter two ends, the last two verses, uh, three verses say that God heard, God remembered, God hears the cry of his people. 
So this is where we're at. So Genesis 3 begins this way. Before we do that, though, uh, last week I had to offer a correction. Uh, I had messed up, and I, I, I said I get Isaac and Rebecca, and, and when, I'm, when I'm just firing, right, when I'm going, like all the I's and the R's kind of get mixed up. It's, it's you know, and, and I get a text in the middle of the sermon. I didn't notice it till later uh, from my son who said, no, nah, you did it again, Dad. You messed up, and you mixed them up again. All right, so I apologize. I sometimes get going really fast, and I, and I mix up names. Uh, but uh, uh, so I, just, I had a note to remind you guys that I, that I messed up again. Sorry about that. Uh, 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 but uh, anyway, so this is what we're, we're, we're dealing with. So this is chapter three. It starts out this way. Let's just read the first, let's start with the first six verses. Uh, now, uh, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led this flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. All right, so here is this uh, scene, right? So we're kind of, the story's kind of zoomed in. We're focusing on this guy named Moses now uh, who God is going to use. And so we're looking at the call of Moses and how it happens. So Moses is in Midian. Uh, he's had to flee Egypt. Uh, and he's, doing, he's, he's not doing Egyptian work, by the way. I think it's an interesting note. He's not doing Egyptian, because Egyptians, it actually says in Genesis, did not want to have anything to do with shepherds, did not want to have anything to do with sheep. That was work for somebody else. They considered it beneath them. And so he's in a foreign land, not doing Egyptian work, even though he was raised in an Egyptian palace with Egyptian palace skills. He's doing Israelite work. He's a shepherd. He's doing Hebrew work, right? And so he's doing this work that God has for him, uh, and he's working for his father. And, And here's the deal. We find out in a little bit, it's been about 40 years He's 80 years old. He's about 40 when he, he's around 40 when he flees from Midian, and we know that he goes back and talks to Pharaoh when he's about 80. So this guy's approaching 80 probably, and he's you know working for his father-in-law, probably wondering about life choices, right? Like he's way past midlife crisis, right? He's like late life crisis, right? Like what am I doing? And so he's just leading his sheep. And so the way that you would do it, because they lived in this arid region, you would take the sheep and they would just you know they would rip up the grass and so you would move from area to area and sometimes we we have stories in Genesis that tell us that you would go weeks away from home. So Moses is just far from home. He's supposed to be in Midian and he's he's way away and he's following the sheep, grazing them here and there and he just sees a weird thing. There's a bush on fire but it's not burning up. It's not being consumed. And, and it tells us what's happening. It says that the, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. So here, here's the thing about that. Here's, we gotta stop there real quick. So the angel of the Lord is, it comes up a couple times. There's this weird thing that happens in the Bible um, where it, sometimes you'll be confused about who's talking. Is it God or the angel of the Lord, right? Because if I said, who talked to Moses out of a burning bush, you would say, God did. Well, but it says this, the angel of the Lord. What, what, uh, 
So here's, here's what's going on, I think. A lot of times in scripture, God will, I'm gonna use the word manifest, appear to people, appear in a local situation, even though he is nowhere, he's not bound by time and space, he's wholly other, right? Uh, and he enters into time and space and appears in certain ways, he manifested in certain ways. And, and sometimes you'll, you'll get these places where it says the angel of the Lord said this, and then like in the next verse or two, it'll say, and Yahweh said this. And you're like, hold on, is it Yahweh that said it or the angel of the Lord? It's almost like it's something other than God, but yet with the authority of God, God is somehow like, what you see when you study scripture, one of the, maybe the easiest way to think about it is, it's almost like God's word when he speaks is personified. Right, it's, like, it's almost like when he speaks through the angel of the Lord, it's the same thing as him being there. He's there in some way and his, his word is so powerful, like it's, 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 it, it is him. Right? So he's speaking, the angels of the Lord. It, it, it is God that's speaking to him out of this bush. And, and he distracts him. He brings him aside. He's wandering around. He's like, this is a weird thing. And he's drawn near it. And God says, hey, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. The ground's holy because God's there, right? The whole taking off the shoes thing, we don't know. Like, I, like, I don't know why. Like, I don't know. Like, there's, maybe it was a tradition. Anyway, it's something that God let him know, Moses know. Hey, dude, this is a, like, if you're in a holy situation, do the thing that you would do in a holy situation because this is a holy situation. And so he takes his shoes, shoes off, the sandals off, and he comes, he comes near to this bush, and God speaks to him. He's an aging exile, working for his father-in-law, family business, and he draws near to this mountain, Mountain Horeb. Uh, so Horeb means it's, it's the mountain of God. Uh, we don't know where that is. Exactly. Uh, tradition says in the south of Sinai Peninsula, the probably closest we have, best guess, but it's a mountain anyway. And, and, and this mountain of God, it's got another name. We're, we're going to discover it later. It's, it's, it's Sinai. God's going to lead him back to this place. This is not the last time that Moses will be at this mountain. But it's not that God lives there and doesn't go anywhere else. It's just the place where God meets with Moses. So it's the mountain of the Lord. That's how it's just known in his, in his mind. And so he is at this mountain where God is, that God speaks to him in, in, in this bush, and he, he says this thing, he appears as, as a fire, which I think is super interesting. God often, he, he appears as storms, thunderclouds, all kinds of things, pillars, smoke, but fire a lot. I think just the idea of purity, uh, 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 of a pure thing that that consumes, can consume. Um, first time we kind of really encountered this is in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are, uh, have to leave the garden. They've sinned. They've rebelled against God and God says, we, you know, this thing where heaven and earth overlap, this is, this is not going to happen. And, and he begins to, and he, so he says, it, says that he guards the way back. He puts an angel there with a sword, a flaming sword that, that flashes to and fro. It's almost as if God's very presence and his own will and his own word have guarded the re-entry into Eden. This fire protects. You're going to see later that God comes and, and, and leads them as a fire. He consumes as a fire. God somehow manifests himself in this presence, in this physical, visible way. If you're looking for $5 words, if you're collecting $5 words, it's theophany. God appearing, right? And it happens all through the Old Testament. This manifestation in a dramatic fashion of God's presence among us. So that's what's happening is God's shown up and he's calling him. I think it's interesting that God calls people to himself 
in the strangest ways sometimes and at the strangest times. I have a friend who uh, grew up in the faith, but he, he, he left, wasn't living uh, for God really. And um, an atheist friend of his asked him a question. His friend had left the faith that he grew up in and was asking him questions about his faith. And he started thinking about it again and asking questions. And, and, and we get to talking and, and what was so fascinating is that it was through these questions of an atheist that God led him back to him. Isn't that amazing? I know people who have been through the worst trauma, suffering and struggles in their life and God has used that to call them back to him. Isn't that amazing? That you're about very ordinary things and something extraordinary happens and God uses these weird things to draw people to him. It's amazing to me how God works, that he works in just however he wants to work, wherever he wants to work. Unbelievable. So he, he appears to him and says, listen, it calls him, says, come near, take off, but, but don't come too close, take off your sandals uh, and uh, come near to me. And then he says this, this is verse seven. And then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Let's stop right there. So he says, he appears to him, appears to Moses, and he says, hey, here's the situation. Uh, I have heard the cries, I've heard the oppression, I've seen it, I know what's going on, and I have a plan. And what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna come down there and I'm gonna deal with it, and also I'm gonna take them to this land. I'm gonna take them to this place that I promised Abraham that they would have. It's a broad land, it's a good land, and I'm gonna take them there just like I promised that I would do. That's what he's promised. He appears to Moses and he says, this is what I'm about to do. And I think Moses probably thought, great news, this is good news. Uh, wonderfulness. And then verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So I was like, hey, I'm gonna do this amazing thing. This is great news. I'm all on board. You should definitely do that. Uh, all right, so come on, let's go. We're gonna go do, we're gonna, you're gonna do this. You're gonna go. Not only are you gonna be a part of this, but you're going to lead. Yeah, no, hard pass. Uh, I did not sign up for any of those things. Okay, how about you just do the thing? Like, you're God, why don't you just do the thing? Like, why do I have to go to Pharaoh? As a matter of fact, that's what he says next. He goes, what, like, what good's that gonna do, right? Come, I'll send you to the Pharaoh that you may bring my people, uh, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Uh, but Moses said to God, uh, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then this is what God says in verse 12. He says, I'll go with you. I'll be with you. This will be a sign for you that I have sent you that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. All right, this is amazing. So he says this. So Moses is minding his own business, sees a weird bush, uh, and God says, like, hey, I'm gonna do this amazing thing, and Moses is like, this is great news, and he says, listen, you're gonna be part of this, you're gonna actually be the leader, and Moses is like, well, uh, no, like, how, what, not, stop, what? Why would Pharaoh listen to me? I can't, I, by the way, I don't know if you were paying attention, but I tried this, I, I killed a dude, it's the reason I'm in Midian, is I tried, I, I, back when I was in fighting weight shape, like, I, I, it didn't work then, why would it work now in my 80? 
you know, I got in my late 70s. I got, how is, this is, listen, I don't, I don't want to speak, you know, but this is a terrible plan, God. Right? That's where he is. Like, how, like why would he, how am I going to do this? And God's answer is, I'll be with you. Also, by the way, it's been 40 years since that incident when he fled. Hey, man, I don't want to be rude, but where have you been for 40 years? Like, like, shouldn't I have been going to seminary or something? Like, should I have, like, been preparing? I think that's one of the most amazing things about this story. You look at the life of Moses, and you look at, and they can start talking like, yeah, it's amazing. He like, grows up in, that, in, the, in the house of yeah, the Pharaoh's house, so he had all this training uh, as an Egyptian way, but he, he was aware of his heritage as Israel. His, his parents were Israelites, but he's been in exile for 40 years just keeping sheep. I think it's amazing that this is the way that God works. I think that for 40 years, he has been preparing him. For 80 years, he has been preparing him. Here's what I mean. Uh, God wants a shepherd for his people, so he sent him to shepherd somebody else's flock for a while. He wants him to understand what it means to lead sheep, so he goes and he leads sheep for 40 years. He, He wants him to know what it's like to be faithful in the ordinary, every single day things, to have faith when you're in exile, to get up in the morning working for your father-in-law, going to work, shepherding sheep, being 80, being away from your family, being away from your, the place that you grew up, being away, wondering what your life is. And in those every single day, basic moments, having faith, that is God preparing you. I think that we are just looking for these huge moments and we look at like Moses' life and like the parting of the Red Sea and the bringing down of the, of the, of the Ten Commandments and, and those were like just a few moments. They do not compare time-wise to the 40 years he spent following a bunch of smelly sheep around. But those 40 years were necessary for him to do the other thing. I just really believe this amazing, amazing thing about our God, that he's not limited to huge gestures, that he can actually do and accomplish his will in every single ordinary, everyday obedience from you and me. I I just think that you getting up and going to your job with brutal coworkers and you loving and trying to be gentle and, 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 and just trying to love anyway and praying for them, this normal, everyday obedience, I believe God's working there and preparing you. I believe when you're struggling and your relationships are hard and it's difficult and it's really difficult to forgive this person who's done this thing to you and you can't imagine that God would ask you to forgive this and every day you get up and you fight in your heart to forgive this person and to love them because of how great Jesus is, I think in that everyday ordinary obedience, God is preparing you. I think that when we get up and love our neighbor as ourself, I just believe that God's working in that. I believe that he's accomplishing his purpose, preparing us for the, the, the phrase, I just can't help but use it, the weight of eternal glory that is prepared for us. He is preparing us for that in our ordinary, everyday lives of obedience and faith and trusting to him through sickness and COVID, through death and loss, through celebration and success, and through all of the things, our obedience, God is using it. He's preparing us. 
He's not absent, but it sure probably felt like it to him. To be faithful in the ordinary routine of everyday life. He is preparing a shepherd for his people. Unbelievable. All right. This is where it gets wonky. As if that wasn't weird enough, you know, an angel in a bush and all this stuff. Here it is, 13. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Take that down. I forgot a thing. So this is really, like, so God's like, hey, here's the deal. Here's what you need. How, how am I, who am I to go talk to Pharaoh? And God says, like, I'm going to go with you. I'll be with you. But then he says this thing. And here's a sign for you. I'm going to give you a sign. Oh, good, a sign. That would be helpful. Like, reassure me. He's like, after you've done it, you're going to come back here and worship on the mountain. I would like the sign now, please. I don't want to have to be faithful first. I would like for you to just do the thing now, and then I'll go do the thing that you told me to do. And God's like, no, 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 no. Look, you'll know it's true once you had faith and you do it. Uh, yeah, that's just somehow, that's just how God is. You just do the thing. You're like, hey, how about, could you heal the relationship and then I'll believe? No, I need you to be faithful and forgive, and then I'll heal. The obedience comes first. <laughs> uh, all right, now we can move on. Oh, we're doing great. Uh, verse 13. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Or possibly, if you have a footnoted type Bible, if your Bible has like tiny little words at the bottom, possibly that could be translated, I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. So he says this, and he says, uh, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, uh, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I've observed you, what you have done, what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they'll listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he'll let you go. And I'll give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask and her neighbor after neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. All right, here's the situation. Uh, The oceans of scholarly ink have been spilled over this passage, specifically two verses. I mean, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. We will not be covering all of that today. We gotta figure out what to do with, Moses says, hey, look, I, I'm gonna go to the Israelites. 
what do I, who do I tell them that you are? What's your name? It's a couple major theories. One is, here, here, here's the problem, here's the problem. Yeah, all right, here's the deal. Uh, it's, here's, it's complicated. So uh, he says, my name is Yahweh, right? I am, and then he says Yahweh. These are, these are, these are problem is that these are not, these are verbs. They're, they're, they're to be verbs, right? And he says, like, this is my name. And, and it's not like, so what are we supposed to believe? Are we supposed to believe that Moses didn't know his name, that he'd forgotten his name? That he's been faithful all this time to this God, this God he forgot? It also, here's another problem, by the way. Uh, it says in Genesis, Yahweh, a lot. He introduces himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as Yahweh. So what happened? Did they forget? Or some people believe that they took Yahweh and they wrote it back into Genesis. And this is the first time it's revealed. I don't believe that. And also it's complicated because in chapter six of Exodus, it, he actually says, I revealed myself as Lord Almighty, God Almighty, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But this is the first time I'm revealing myself as Yahweh. So is this the first introduction and, and Yahweh is written back? I don't, I don't think so. So we, we need to get to what's going on here. So he says to Moses, look, here, I, I am, this verb to be, uh, I am, I, I'm gonna be, I, I am what I am, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be what I'm gonna be, I, I just am. That's his name, I am. You get to the New Testament, it's a big deal. Jesus keeps saying I am all the time, right? And that's why one of the reasons people want to kill him, right? He keeps identifying himself with this Yahweh. So here's another complicating factor. You, should be, you could be sitting here right now going like, you didn't read Yahweh anywhere when you were reading the whole thing, Chris. Like, you didn't say Yahweh, where, are you, where is this coming from? So here's the deal. In, in our Bibles, in our English Bibles, see what I meant by information heavy today? If you look at this passage when he says, the Lord said to Moses, I am who I am, and he says, so you say to the people of the Lord, I am has sent me to you. And then verse 15, God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. And then in my Bible, in your Bible too, if it's English, Lord is all caps. All right? That is the word Yahweh. It is the tetragramon. It's the four letters. Vav, he, yod, he. It, it is, it is, no, I've mixed that up. I saw the Greek expert, or Hebrew, it is yod, Hey, Vav, hey. Four letters, right? So here's the deal. Uh, uh, out of respect, it became habit that the Jews would not use this name. They wouldn't say it. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, they would, when they were writing their manuscripts, they actually took the vowels from another word and shoved it underneath these letters so you wouldn't accidentally read the name. It was a sign of respect not to speak the name of God. That's how we get the word Jehovah, by the way. It kind of sounds like if you tried to read Yahweh with the letters from Adonai, you would kind of get Jehovah. And so out of maybe continuing that tradition, uh, our Bibles kept doing that. Our Bibles were kind of signaling like the Lord. So when you see the Lord in all caps, it's the word Yahweh. And here's why this matters. Here's why I would stop and give you this boring academic lesson. You're lucky I didn't draw out a whiteboard and write Hebrew on it badly. Uh, but here's why I would do this. Because when you're reading your Bible, you need to know that because usually, often God is referred to as Elohim, which is God, but it, it could be used for other gods. 
But, but this, so when he's reading this, he says, whenever it says capitalized, you need to know that this is the personal name of God that he's given to his people. And here's why this is important. Let's move on from this technical thing to why any of this should matter to you. It matters when you're reading it. It matters when you're, when you're I just want you to know it. But also it matters because the entire theme, one of the major themes of this entire first section of Exodus is God caring about his name. That God is gonna reveal his name to Moses and then to Israel and then to Egypt and Pharaoh and then to the whole world through Israel. Revealing his name to the whole world. I mean, it it matters, right? You get to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and one of the top ten. Be real careful with God's name. Jesus, when he teaches his people to pray, right? When he teaches the disciples to pray, they say, teach us to pray. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be honored. So here's what's going on. Here's what I believe is that we need to take away from this without walking through thousands of years of academic uh, uh, jibber-jabber. Here's what we need to take away. When God talks about his name, he means more than the four letters. When he talks about his name, he means more than what you're going to call him. When the Bible talks about name, especially in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, it means reputation, who I am, what I'm going to do, what I'm like. Like, that's tied up. So, for example, Genesis 11, we read there the story of Babel, and they're going to build this tower. These people are going to build the tower. Why? Great name. Chapter 12, God goes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make your name great. Your reputation, what I'm going to do, it matters. Having a great name has to do with being aware of who he is and what he is like. And so when Moses says, who am I going to tell you, what am I going to say your name is? I don't think he's saying, listen, nobody's ever heard Yahweh before. What I think he's saying is, what is this new revelation? What do I do? What do I say when they ask me where you've been for 400 years? What are you going to do? How, how are you, what is the thing that you're about to do? And it's in this moment, in Exodus, starting here with, 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 uh, with Moses, that we see God do this brand new thing, reveal this new thing. See, Abraham knew God. Abraham shows up to, God shows up to Abraham and reveals himself to him. It teaches Abraham about himself. Abraham knew him as a God who made promises and protected and guarded. He didn't know him as a redeemer. Isaac and Jacob knew God as someone who protected and guarded and made promises and was going to do all of these things, but they didn't know him as a liberator. And so in Exodus, we have this fundamental revelation, God teaching us a new thing about himself, what he is like. That's what's going on with this whole revealing my name. I am going to show you a brand new aspect of who I am and what I am like. I'm going to reveal to you through what's about to happen in, this, in, in Egypt what I am like. And here's what we find out he's like. He's a God who liberates. I'm going, to, I'm going to save you out of the hand. That's what God is like. This is a new revelation. He's one who hears the oppressed and cares about them and intervenes on their behalf. He's a God who's actually going to come and dwell in their midst. This is what he's like. He's a God who rescues people who don't deserve it. He's a God who hears the groaning of his people and fulfills promises. This is God revealing a new aspect of his character to the world. You have been in prison. I'm here to set you free. This is what he is like. He's revealing his name. He's revealing a brand new, beautiful aspect of his character. I mean, have you ever met... You've encountered this in life, though, right? Like, Have you met someone and you found out something about them and like, that you never knew before? Uh, in college, uh, there was this uh, young uh, woman who was a friend of my buddy Jimmy's, 
And one day Jimmy says to this, because Jimmy was crazy, Jimmy says to this girl, he says, hey, uh, I, you know, one day I think I'd like to drive to Alaska. Sometimes I think I'd just like to get in my car and drive to Alaska. And she says, you can't drive to Alaska. He goes, oh, it would take forever, but like, I think I would just do it. Just take several, like take a couple months maybe and just drive. And she says, you can't drive to Alaska. He's like, well, I mean, like, yeah, I get it. I know I have responsibilities, but like, I, I don't know. Sometimes I just want to blow them off and just drive to Alaska. She goes, you're an idiot. You can't drive to Alaska. He goes, what are you talking about? She goes, it's an island. And he goes, I'm sorry, what? She goes, it's an island. Haven't you ever seen a map, dummy? It's in a little box down there by Hawaii. That's new information about this person that I have to now deal with, right? Like, I don't know how to think about you. I don't have a category for what just happened. Like, I I need more information. I think about you totally different now because new information has been revealed. And it can happen in a positive way too, right? Right? I love my wife for so many reasons, right? But when I married her, I didn't love her for what an amazing mother she was. But to be able to have that part of her revealed? I didn't marry her because she was so successful in her career, but she is crushing it. And to be able to love her for that, I didn't know that about her. But to have that revealed in our life together, what a gift. God is revealing a new aspect of his character, saying here's a whole new bucket for you to know how great I am. I am going to rescue you. I am a deliverer. I am a liberator of people who are awesome and deserve it. Nope. People who don't. This is what is happening in this text. This is the main takeaway from this, is that God will deliver, fulfill his promise. He will fight for them. Moses, you're gonna go. I'm gonna go with you. Pharaoh's not gonna let you go, but I will reach out my mighty arm and I will deal with that. This is what he's like. And not only that, he's gonna provide. I'm gonna take you a land flowing with milk and honey. Abundant, broad, plenty of stuff. And on the way out, by the way, I'm gonna give you favor with the Egyptians and you're, like, cause you, you're, gonna, you're gonna leave with all of their stuff. That's what I'm gonna do for you. This is what I am like. And then I'm gonna actually move in among you. We keep reading about it and he, like, in Exodus ends and God just shows up right in the middle and dwells in the midst of them. So, Exodus is, is this defining moment in the rest of scripture for revealing what God, one of the ways that, what, that God behaves, one of the ways that he does things and the way he, way he acts. He uses obedience. He reveals himself to us. We get to the New Testament and we have this ultimate theophany, except it's not, it's not temporary. It's this permanent presence of God in human form living among us. And so we look at that, that's why Jesus says crazy things crazy things. People were like, well, can you tell us what the Father's like? And he's like, what are you saying? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am God revealed among you. You want to know what God's like? Look at my life. Look at me. That's what he's saying. You've seen me. This is what he is like. So here's is one of the things that I think this text, looking at the Old Testament and, and how it translates into the New Testament and how it moves, one of the beauties of looking at this narrative is to sit and meditate on where we think God is and what he's like. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been like Moses wondering for some decade where God is, why he's enacting. At least not the way we want him to. But to know that he is always acting and what he's calling you to is faithful obedience in this. To look at not what he's doing, but to look at who he is. 
You might not be able to see and understand what he's doing, but you can see who he is. He's revealed that to us in Jesus. And so I think we all have tendencies, right? So in the Old Testament, God has all these different names. Jesus has all of these different names. God is king and creator. He's father. He's holy one, redeemer. He is the rock. Christ is divine. He is prince of peace. He is a judge, the great high priest. He's the suffering servant, the true prophet, the son of man, and the lamb on the throne. I think that one of the things that one of the beauties of reading scripture and of studying narrative is that we are exposed to ideas of God that we would like to suppress. We all naturally have these things that jump into our head, right? Some people just naturally are like, when you think of God, what do you think? He forgives. It's absolutely true, he does. But 90% of our thinking, 95% of our thinking is God forgives. He does. Or you could be like me, and 90% of your thinking is he is judge. And so I'm constantly obsessing about what I've done and, 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 and am I pleasing him? He says, God is love. If that's all you think about, though, you're going to miss something. He is so multifaceted. So I think that's one of the beautiful things about church, right? Is the way that you see God is this diamond that you, that you turn, this beautiful gem as you turn it. Like you're going to see a thing that I don't see. You've experienced a thing that I don't experience. And I can, can learn more about what God is like through you and you hopefully through me. And all of us through scripture. This is what he is like and what he does. And so we spend most of our time making much of this Jesus who we see all of these things revealed. Not only does he save people from Egypt, but actually from sin and death. I'm a liberator, is what he says. You've, I'm gonna hear to do, matter of fact, he says this, right? He says this amazing thing. He says, I can only do what I see God do. He turns water into wine. Just like God does every single day. Sends the rain, the fruit draws it up through the miracle of fermentation. God turns water into wine every day. Every day he feeds thousands through the miracle of procreation with a few fish and a few loaves. Every day God heals. Jesus just does it on a scale where we can understand and see it. So we look at Christ, we look at his life, and we make much of that, and we learn so much. So the challenge is, what is this perspective? What is this name that I have of God? Because I promise you it's too narrow to read scripture, to just drink in all of the different ways that he blesses and moves and all the things that he's gonna do. Because let's be honest, we can, sometimes we can be scary to think we have a just God, but there's stuff that needs to be dealt with in the world and in my heart. We need a just God. But I also want him to be loving, right? I need him to be loving. God, at his core, is a loving being. He is love, himself, love itself. We need that. Do not forget. If you're like me, man, I struggle with that. That's one of my confessions. Like, I struggle believing that God loves me. It's a fight. I have to read scripture over and over and go, he loves me. I have to shove that in my heart. I have no problem believing he's gonna judge me. <laughs> I have trouble believing he loves me. You might be the opposite. And those aren't the only two things. To look at all of the names, all of the different ways he's told us what he is like and to marvel at his goodness. Scripture is beautiful. And it all makes much of who God is and that all culminates in this, this theophany of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being buried, raising again, ascending into heaven so that we might have life by faith in him. To see what he does. And we now live this out in our daily lives, obedience in the ordinary, waiting for all things to be made new. Knowing God is doing extraordinary things in our midst. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are divine king. 
You are your divine king. You are Lord. You are prince of peace. You are son of man. You are all of these things. You are judge and you are love. We worship you. We pray that you change us, that you show us sin because you are a God. It is holy, holy God. (laughs) And we are sinful beings. So make us aware of our sin that we might pursue holiness. But also, make us aware of your love. That you are working in the ordinary things to sanctify us, to make us into Well, no, we already are your children. You've already made us in your children and you are growing us up in our faith. You've declared that we are your children, that we're children of God. May we live that out, knowing that you are love, knowing that you are liberator, knowing that you have set us free, knowing that you have built for us an eternity that you're preparing us for. What a gift. Change us and make us more like him. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.